tomorrow is Memorial Day, and Memorial Day is a remembrance and celebration for those who have died in military service to our nation. A tradition which started following the Civil War and was formalized as a national holiday in 1971. Most of us know this as Memorial Day weekend. And it's true that there isn't always another holiday or a celebration that occurs on this particular weekend, but the truth is, today is another celebration. Some might get a little nervous when I say that, since it's Tyler's birthday today and Kelly's was on Friday, and so we're not talking about those celebrations and opportunities to embarrass them, but we're actually talking about a tradition and celebration that nationally gets a whole lot less attention. It's actually the birth of Christ's church, otherwise known as Pentecost. And that's what we're celebrating today, is Pentecost. And so we're taking a, just a momentary stop from our series in Luke, and we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit. You see, truthfully, Pentecost has often taken a back seat to other Christian celebrations like Christmas, which is centered around the birth of Jesus, or Good Friday, centered around the death of Jesus, or Easter, centered around the resurrection of Jesus. And without which, we wouldn't have any salvation possible if Christmas didn't occur, if Good Friday didn't occur, and if Easter didn't occur. But, Apart from the Holy Spirit, God's redeeming promises through Christ are actually unavailable. His work in our life is unavailable. His hope in our life is unavailable. And perhaps this is one of the reasons that Francis Chan coined the term forgotten God in reference to the Holy Spirit. That so often we remember the work of Christ but we forget the power and work of the Spirit. You see, only through the Holy Spirit are we able to glorify God as He works His will in our lives. So this morning, we're going to dive into Romans 15, just eight verses there, 13 through 21, and we're going to be looking specifically at the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So let's go ahead and stand as we read Romans 15. We're going to start in verse 13. It's the closure of a specific section, this little small section of Scripture in Romans 15, and then the beginning of the end of this second section. And this is what it says. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit." In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus... I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been preached or been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. May it be as this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Simply put, the Holy Spirit empowers us, His church, to glorify God. Simply put, 
the Holy Spirit empowers us, His church, to glorify God. The Spirit empowers His church. Apart from the Holy Spirit, His church has no power. Now, in Acts 2, it tells us about the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Verse 1 through 4 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So Jesus had promised that the Holy Spirit would come upon His people, those who had put their faith in Christ for salvation, and that God would grant them His Spirit. In fact, He said it was better, Jesus said it was better that I go. And He even says that you will do greater things than me. Meaning that in the power of the Spirit, that in Christ's Spirit, the Holy Spirit living within us, granted to the believer... That we would do greater things. That in Christ, through His Spirit, we now had the living God residing within us. Later in this same chapter, in Acts 2, verses 38 through 39, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord of God, our God calls to himself. So how do you receive the Holy Spirit? You receive the Holy Spirit through repentance and faith. Jesus' message, his initial message to his people was repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. So no longer does the glory of God reside in a nation, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. But now it resides in people, in all who repent and believe Christ's church. So the Holy Spirit coming upon God's people is the mark of His church. It's the beginning of His church, the birth of His church. A people empowered with the Spirit of God. Acts 10, 44-45 confirms this when it says, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. You see, the Jews thought that salvation was only theirs. And God had promised to make a people for Himself, to raise up a people for Himself. The Jews were to be the ones that were to be proclaiming the hope of the Messiah to all the nations. And yet, they had become very self-righteous. They had become very comfortable in who they were as quote-unquote God's people. They failed to see that the Messiah, the gift of the Messiah, was for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. And they stood amazed that the Holy Spirit was coming upon these Gentiles, these quote-unquote dirty people, these non-Jews. The point is, is that God grants His Spirit to anyone who repents and believes on Him through faith. Now, as we consider our passage this morning, then, Romans 15, verses 8 through 9, provides context to our passage this morning when it says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is, the Jews, to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. You see, Christ came for all mankind to glorify God. We can make salvation about all kinds of things. But the primary purpose of our salvation is to bring God glory. 
That's what he's calling us to. That's what he wants from us, is that he would be glorified in us and through us. I think too often we have made salvation about things that are based solely on us. Well, God wants a relationship with me. Well, God does. But wanting is different than needing. God is fully satisfied as the Trinity in His relationship as Father, Son, and Spirit. Fully satisfied in the relationship of the Trinity. One God, three persons. Fully satisfied. God's purpose for salvation is not to make us just better moral beings. It's not just about having the best behavior on the block. He brings His Spirit so that He might be glorified in and through us. His salvation, yes, while it redeems us, gives us eternal life, it's still to be something that points to His glory and His goodness. Think about the person last that you you thought about most who deserved the most punishment that you're aware of. Think about that person who, who in your spectrum or those that you know about where you're like, yeah, I wouldn't really be sorry if they got what they deserved. Right? But do you realize that that's how God views every single one of us? As sinners? That we were deserving of death? And yet, unlike us, where we look at it and go, yeah, he got what he deserved. God looks at him and goes, you know what? I'm going to do something so he doesn't get what he deserves. In fact, I'm going to do something that redeems him in spite of those things which continue to make it seem like he should deserve worse. That's the God that we serve. It's the the aspect of his redemption that allows us to see his goodness and his beauty and his glory and his mercy and his grace. Why is it so important to understand our own sin? Because if we don't understand our own sin, then we don't understand the goodness and greatness of God. If we don't understand that we are deserving of death and that God rescues us out of that death through Jesus... We will never understand the fullness of Christ's love for us. You see, it says the promises given to the patriarchs. Now those promises, as Romans 4.16 makes clear, depend on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So glorifying God begins in our lives with our belief in Christ. The only way to glorify God is is to put first, believe in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1, 20-22 adds, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it's through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Here's the thing. When you come to Jesus Christ in faith, He grants you His Spirit. It's not a secondary event. There are some who say that it is. It's not. It's the seal of your salvation. It's all of a sudden there is a peace over your life that confirms that Christ is at work within you. Romans actually talks about this unique perspective. It says that when you come to Jesus, you are both saved and sanctified. Now, we'll be talking in a few moments about sanctification by the Spirit, 
But here's what's important. One of the best ways to affirm your own salvation, your life, to make it distinct from the confession of words, is that God moves you to a place where you have not simply confessed that Jesus is Lord, but your heart now what? Believes it. It is a heart confession, and suddenly you are moved and drawn towards Christ. What do I mean by that? As a seven-year-old, I put my faith in Jesus. There was nothing unique about that. And I'm being honest about that. The uniqueness was, I did not want to go to hell. At seven years old, burning fire was scary. At 48, it's still very scary, right? But what I knew at seven years old was, I don't want any part of that. And you got an easy way answer, I am out over here. And it all makes sense. Now from 7 to 18 or 7 to 17, there was no draw upon my heart to pursue Jesus. Nothing. But at 17, God started doing some things in my life. He started working in my life. The Holy Spirit started working in my life. And it was the first time in my life that I understood the very passage of Luke 9.23, that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, right? Take up his cross and follow me. But not just take up his cross, take up his cross daily. It was that Jesus was going to be the Lord of my life. And something happened when I grabbed a hold of that verse and God opened my eyes to that truth was all of a sudden, I didn't want simply a savior from hell, but I wanted him as Lord of my life. And in that moment, my desire went from, man, I sure hope I'm saved, to I want to know you, Jesus. The truth is, if we've never experienced that moment of, I want to know Jesus, we need to honestly ask, was it a genuine confession of our heart before the Lord when we said we wanted him as Lord? It doesn't mean that we're, we're going to have times of struggle or that we're going to have times of, of fading backwards and forwards or even wrestle in this. But at the moment of salvation, your sanctifying process begins. And the Holy Spirit begins moving you towards Jesus. He begins to slowly change your mind and your heart and the desires of your mind and heart. You see, he's put his seal upon you with the Holy Spirit so that when you experience that, you know, yes, I know this Jesus. And the Spirit bears testimony in my life, reminding me that I am Christ. It's a wonderful thing. Some of you know that in my teens that I had this very basic question for my grandfather, which was, how do I know if I'm saved? And the wise, discerning man that he was, he looked me square in the eyes after telling me to read a passage, and I read that passage, and I said, yeah, I don't get it. And he looked at me, and he said, yeah, you don't get it, because the truth is you want to remain in your sin, and you want God to give you peace about it. But no that God will never give you peace that you are his when you are in open rebellion to him. What a great and wonderful word. I looked at him, went, okay. See you later, pops. I'll be back later. And you know what? 30 years later, I'm still talking about it because it was transformative. It was a word that I needed to hear. You see, the Spirit of God is bearing testimony in our souls that we are His. This passage then shows us three ways in which the Holy Spirit empowers believers to glorify God. Three ways in which the Holy Spirit empowers believers to glorify God. Now notice what he says in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. 
Now, joy and peace are the natural outworking of hope. The Holy Spirit is the one who confirms this in our salvation. It is because we know that our lives are secure with Christ that we have a Lord, a King that rules over our life that whatever comes our way, we can have confidence that we are secure in Him because He has sealed us by His Spirit and He is directing the path of our life. That's the hope that we have. The hope that we have is that God has promised us His Spirit sealing us for salvation and that He is ruler of our life directing it for our good with purpose. That's the hope. The hope isn't that, man, everything's going to work out the way that I want it to. The hope isn't in that every test is the way that I want it to be. The hope isn't that if it just happens this way, all will be okay. The hope is in the one who's already secured the way and already secured the eternal and whose promises are good for me. That's the hope. It is the Spirit, though, that empowers us to have hope and salvation. How is it that we can have hope when all else seems lost? It's only by the power of the Spirit. The flesh cries out, not a chance. But the Spirit goes, you got the living God within you. You are mine. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, why can we have this hope? Well, Romans 8, verses 15 through 17 adds, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are children of God. That is what the Spirit is doing, testifying that we are of Jesus. This is the joy that we have. The peace that we have. Listen, the living God has made you His temple. Isn't that awesome? The living God no longer lives in a tabernacle, which He never really lived in. But he has chosen to reside in you. Isn't it amazing as Christians we kind of walk around as powerless people? I mean, in all honesty, let's be real. In our culture today, we kind of we spend all this time talking about, well, Sonoma County is it's just not friendly towards Christians. It's the most unchurched county in the country, is what I've heard. I still don't know if that's accurate or not. It seems to be. In practice, but we are not victims. We are victors. And we are victors because of the power of the Spirit of God. We only need one in our army, and it is God Himself. We need to live as victors, not as victims. We need to live with the hope of salvation as a people who are full of joy and peace. As Christians, we can be so restless. And we can be doom and gloom. Life sucks. Politics suck. Right? It, it does. The problem with it is is it does because it's of this world. We need to respond and point to the things of Jesus 
and the hope that we have in our salvation. This government will come to an end. It's not eternal. Our hope is not in the government. Our hope is not in people. Our hope is in the salvation that we have through God. And the Spirit is the one who reminds us of that and empowers us to walk in it. It means that I walk through fiery circumstances in spite of all that is happening. And it means that I have joy and peace. What would happen if the world saw the church being joyful and at peace in spite of the destruction and despair in our world? Instead, the world sees a church that's angry, that hates the world, let's be honest, that looks to avoid it and isolate themselves from it. The Spirit says, listen, I've empowered you to walk through it, to live in it, to be a part of it, to glorify me. You be the people of hope when hope is all gone. You be the people of joy when joy is lost. You be the people of peace when peace is being sought after. Isn't it interesting that we used to talk about 20 to 30 years ago, peace in the world? When I was growing up in school, it was a common topic. The Cold War constantly pushed us towards this idea of we want peace for the world. Amazingly, when the Cold War ends, an entire mind shift changes. We never even talk about peace in the world anymore. We kind of have this nebulous thing out there, but it's like, ah, eh, it is what it is. Mind your own business. The problem with it is, is God has already brought peace to the world. But it's not found in circumstances, it's found in a person, in Jesus and it is in his Holy Spirit that we are able to walk in the peace of Christ in this world. It means that I have unity with brothers and sisters who may think differently than me, that may look differently than me, that may live differently than me, but who are committed to the truth of Christ and the power of his word and the power of his spirit. Stephen Cole points out a person with Holy Spirit-produced joy is not just a person with a bubbly, optimistic personality. A person with Holy Spirit-produced peace is not just a laid-back guy who never gets ruffled at anything. Rather, these are qualities that are not natural. And they do not come from being in favorable circumstances where just about anyone would be joyful and full of peace. In fact, they are often most noticeable when a person is in a situation where almost everyone would be depressed or anxious, but the spirit-filled believer is full of joy and peace in God. I hate to say this. But the church in the United States is a church that is going to be called to suffer in ways that it shouldn't always be unexpected. Why do I say that? In a world where suffering exists, the gospel is clear. In a world where comfort is primary, the need for Jesus and his comfort is very, very minimally visible. Where does the world see Christ most easily? It is in our suffering. And therefore, as followers of Christ, we need to not press against suffering, but walk through it in the empowerment of the Spirit because we have hope in salvation. The hope of our salvation allows us to walk powerfully through suffering. And we should suffer different than the world. And that means where a world is comfortable and apathetic, Suffering becomes the mark and the opportunity to bear witness of a truth that is far greater than we could ever declare with mere words. It is that hope in the midst of despair and destruction is visible. We need to realize that as followers of Christ. Instead of simply enduring and just 
sitting tight until it's done, we need to realize that there is purpose in what we are doing. And the Spirit of God has empowered us to walk in that through our hope of salvation. You see, without the Holy Spirit, we are alive but dead. With the Holy Spirit, we are alive and thriving. His joy and peace are expressions of this thriving people. That's what it is. The second way in which the Holy Spirit empowers us to glorify God is through sanctification. Sanctification. To grow in righteousness. To grow in righteousness. Sanctification is growing in righteousness. Verse 14 through 16 says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In this particular case, Paul wasn't writing to this this to them because of a specific problem. He saw that they were full of goodness, that they were pursuing excellence and purity in Christ. He saw that they were filled with all knowledge. Now, it wasn't saying this was perfect knowledge or that it was complete, but that they were growing in their love and understanding of God. And he saw that they were able to instruct one another or admonish one another. It was the idea of correcting and directing each other. Instead, his purpose for writing this section is by way of reminder. Because we all need to be reminded of these spiritual truths. We all need to be reminded of the power of the Spirit. Every year, right? Beginning of baseball season, you've got spring training. If you ever go watch spring training... You will watch them go out and do fundamentals over and over and over again. If you want to actually watch this in practice, go up to a Healdsburg Prune Packers game, which is the collegiate summer league that they have. When you get up there, they will play the game. It's crazy. After the game, they will continue to take ground balls for hours. Before the game, for a 5 o'clock game, they arrive at 11 a.m., what do they do for those 11 hour, for at 11 a.m., the six hours between game time? It's not putting on their uniforms. They're literally in shorts taking ground balls, ground balls, ground balls. They do the fundamentals over and over and over again. They are constantly reminded of what they are doing. Paul's saying, listen, we need these reminders. If your understanding as you approach the word of God becomes one of, well, I've already heard this, then ask the next question. Are you living it? That's what Paul's saying. Here, you need to understand these things about the Spirit. Yeah, it's simple. Yeah, you've probably heard it before. But live it. Trust it. 1 Peter 2, verse 4 through 5 says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here's what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. When we submit to God, the Holy Spirit is actually working in us to make us more like Christ. He's sanctifying us. He's actually bringing righteousness in our life. See, a lot of us think it's just effort. If I just come to Christ with effort, God will make me more righteous. And we end up being super frustrated. Right? Think about a person's purity. We have all these mechanisms. Do this, do this, do this. And at the end of it, they're like, I'm still facing temptation. It seems overwhelming and I don't know what to do. And that's true. But when I start by submitting myself, not way out here, but I start with day-to-day submissions of myself to Jesus and the leading of the Spirit, I then step in and I submit and I walk in obedience and the Spirit comes in and He takes that submission and that surrender and He begins shaping my life. And He slowly starts shaping and shaping you ever been on a long drive 
where you're driving and you're driving and you remember the starting point and you remember some little thing that happened midway through and three hours in this drive, you, you finish the drive and you remember the end point, but you remember almost nothing in between. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit's working even when we're not seeing it. And every time that we submit to him, there might be something that pops up where we go, wow, that was really, wow, that was really cool. That's a new thing. But he slowly is sanctifying and working righteousness in our life. And every time that we are submitting to him and just submitting the desires of our hearts to him, God is constantly making us more like Jesus through his spirit. And then we stand back one day and we go, wow. Wow. Do you remember who I was a year ago? Do you remember who I was 15 years ago? Do you remember who I was 30 years ago? And guess what? It had nothing to do with me and my effort. The Spirit was doing it as I was submitting to God. You see, what God desires for us is holiness. He desires that we might be a righteous people so that the offering we have to give to the Lord is a bride who is well presented and prepared for her husband. J. Logan Duncan points out, he wanted to see not nearly professions of faith, but heaven wrought godliness and saved sinners. He wanted to see the transformation of life. My friends, we need to have that aim ourselves. We need to have it as our aim to not nearly see a confession of Christ, but a transformed life, a godliness worked by the Holy Spirit in those who profess faith in Christ. One of the great detriments today is to watch the number of celebrities who claim Jesus and yet choose to live a life for themselves. The celebrities are not the issue, though. There are many of us who have been there before. But there is a casualness in our profession of faith which says that I can profess Jesus without any transformation. I hate the signs on churches today that say, come as you are. And here's why. That slogan has been robbed to mean something entirely different. It means come in sin and stay in sin. And we will celebrate your sin with you. That's what it means. But here's what I would love to see. Churches putting signs out front saying come as you are. And then mean what scripture says which is come as you are, but don't stay as you are. You see, I want people to come as they are. I hope we want people to come as they are. We just want them to see what Christ wants for them. And we want them to submit to Christ's plan for their life. We want them to be transformed in Christ. You see, in fact, Jesus' prayer for his followers in John 17, 15 through 19 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That's important. God didn't ask you to hide from the world. In fact, so much so that Jesus does not ask to have you taken from the world. Now, that's scary for us with children we need to train up our children in the way of the Lord, but we need to not be afraid to let them be in the world. The prayer is, God, let them be here. Don't remove them, but protect them from the evil one. It is the Spirit who does that work. He goes on and he says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So who sanctifies us in God's truth? 
Well, John 14, 26 tells us, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Why is it that you can read God's word one day and get something out of it and read the same passage another day and go, I never saw that before? Because God is teaching you in those moments. The Spirit is teaching you. One minute he's giving you this understanding, next minute he's opening you up to a greater understanding and more and more and more. That's the Spirit. In fact, you can't understand the Word of God apart from the Spirit. So are you allowing the Holy Spirit to sanctify you? Are you coming with your own efforts saying, man, I sure hope I meet up and, and I become the person God wants me to become just by doing quote-unquote right and moral things? Or are you actually submitting to Him? Are you listening to His voice and responding with obedience? So when God leads you and prompts you, His Spirit leads you and prompts you, are you responding or are you just remaining in rebellion hardening yourself isn't it interesting that in 1 Corinthians 13 that one of the things that God says is that he does not insist on his own way now you're like how does he say that well if God is love then take 1 Corinthians 13 which begins, love is patient, love is kind. Just put God there. God is patient, God is kind. He does not envy, he does not boast. Right? And you get to that passage that says he does not insist on his own way. You ever realize that that is an act of God's love towards you, that he does not insist on his own way? He's not forcing you into something? Have you ever thought about his mercy in that way? Have you ever thought that when you often become disobedient to the Lord, that often He just continues to speak to us? And there are times in our life where He gets real loud, but most often He just remains in the same place, speaking the same truth to us over and over and over again. You see, the Spirit of God is calling us to walk in obedience. But He's not insisting. He's not forcing you to walk in that. It's an amazing thing to think of His love. Are you allowing people to speak into your life? For the Holy Spirit to work through others? Are you seeking godly counsel when you make decisions or do you just feel like, eh, I'm smart enough, I can do this on my own? If you're making significant decisions in your life, moving, jobs, things that are pressing upon you, but there may be disagreement between you and your spouse, seek godly counsel and hear. Hear what they're saying. If you find yourself being hesitant to receive godly counsel, may I share with you, I think you're probably hesitant to hear the leading of the Spirit. Godly counsel should not frighten us because we're asking for the Spirit of God to use His means in our life. That is part of the sanctification. And are people speaking truth into your life? Are they able to tell you the deep things about your life that you already know, but you don't want other people to express? Do you allow people the freedom to speak those things into your heart that hurt? Knowing that the wounds of a righteous friend can be trusted. See, the Holy Spirit uses these means, and we have to ask ourselves, do we desire to be sanctified? So the third way. The first is our hope and salvation. The second is our sanctification. And the third is our work and our witness. Our work and witness. You see, in verse 17 through 21, it says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, 
I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. You see, Paul preached the gospel in the power of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 3 through 5 says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When you hear the preaching of God's word, it is not about the gifted oratory skills of those bringing the word of God. It is about the power of the Holy Spirit working in those bringing the word of God. There are many individuals who are excellent preachers who would not be excellent public speakers. But it is the power of God at work within them, the Holy Spirit. He is the one doing the work. You see, God has called us to serve him and to be his witnesses to the world. And Paul did not accomplish this in his own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's testifying to. He's not actually bragging about what he did. He's saying, this is what God has done in me. It's one of the reasons that for us, we should be excited to be able to say, well, yeah, I know, what, I know what's happening inside of me. But Lord, you took something in me and you made it great. There are times as pastors that we can preach God's word and we can feel super flat. And people will give testimony to how that word is spoken to their life. And you're like, really? Because it's not. It's not in our ability It's in the work of the Spirit. You ever had times in your own life where somebody has approached you and they've asked you a question about the Lord and you've responded and you're kind of like, wow, that's pretty good. I don't even know where that came from. Just stood in amazement. That's the Spirit. That's why he's saying don't prepare answers beforehand. Now, it's good to plan, if you know. But he's saying, just because you weren't planned, don't be surprised by it. Do you see each encounter with people that you come across as an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to bring glory to God in your life? Every person that you encounter. When you're in the grocery store and you interact with them, One of the things that I learned from my dad years ago, and he used to drive me nuts as a kid. My dad would engage just about everybody. And it was with quippy little darts that you were like, really? That's really corny, and now I'm really embarrassed. But as time went on, what I realized was that as I asked him a question one time, I remember him saying, standing in an elevator. I said, really, Dad? Like, this is what you're doing? Like, we're in an elevator and you got to make conversation with this guy too? And his words to me were just simple. He said, I just want them to know that they've been noticed. It changed my life. Because it is amazing how that affects me today when I see somebody There are so many people that are ignored every day. But in Christ, we have been noticed and we're known. We need to let other people know that they're known. That's part of our witness. Acts 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So how are you surrendering to the Holy Spirit and resting in his power to serve him? What is he asking you to do that you're hesitating to do in Christ? And how are you surrendering to the Holy Spirit and being his witness to the world? Who are you praying for that God would use you to share the hope of salvation with? Who is God placing in your life that you need to be praying for and not shocked with when God gives you the opportunity to express the message and hope of salvation? 
And are you ready to trust in the Spirit when they come to you and they ask questions? Are you ready to trust in the Spirit when they become angry or frustrated? Are you ready to listen to the Lord's leading to say, yep, this is the time to press in? Or nope, this is the time to still wait. We like the waiting ones. Right? Those are the easy ones. In fact, we're often kind of going, Lord, maybe not today. But in the power of the Spirit, every day needs to be the day that we are prepared to be his witness. And every day we need to be witnessing through our lives and through our speech to those that God puts in our presence. It is the Spirit that does that work. A simple way to do that is to simply ask to pray for people. Pray for him. What can I pray for you today about? Is there anything? Sometimes you'll get, I don't need prayer. You stare at him for a minute. Anything specific, even a small little thing? Just let him think. But you know it's different, isn't it? They've been noticed. And they've noticed because the Spirit of God is noticing us, living within us. Have you ever thought that you might be with the Holy Spirit living inside of you? That person's encounter with the living God that day. What a blessing, isn't it? That we get to have the living God residing in us through his Holy Spirit. And we actually get to bring people into the presence of God. If we submit ourselves to him. Francis Chan says this. He says, the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. We are not all. we We are not all. We were made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and presence of the Spirit of God. The church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. We are not all we were made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and presence of the Spirit of God. May that resonate with our hearts this morning. And may we walk by the power of the Spirit so that He is glorified in us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the wonderful reminder of your spirit. Thank you for the wonderful reminder of the power that is found in Jesus, but is found in your spirit living within us. May we be a people who repent and believe on you for salvation, and may we be a people who are empowered by your spirit every day in declaration of this same truth. And we ask this in your name. Amen.